treat today <laughs> yeah oh my gosh the greg wilson is here this guy has a cult following oh my gosh i went to la comedy club up at the stratosphere here in vegas mm -hmm. and i saw him kill and you would think people would have had enough of him because you know <laughs> He just like wears you out laughing, but no, they, they, it was like, they didn't know there was another comic in existence. They all flooded around him to talk to him. <laughs> it was like that. You guys, this guy, Greg Wilson is amazing. People tell me that he's a real pro and I like hearing that because, you know, I like hearing that there are real professionals out there that take the craft seriously. Oh, very so, seriously. Yeah, and, and you've been on things. You've been on World's Dumbest. Oh, my gosh. We got to I know, which is so funny because it's, it's like, it, unless you say World's Dumbest Criminals, although the series, it started out as World's Dumbest Criminals, but then it just became World's Dumbest. And then every show kind of had a theme like World's Dumbest Thrill Seekers, World's Dumbest uh, Stuntmen, World's Dumbest This, World's Dumbest, you know, Wedding. So every show kind of, so the show became World's Dumbest. But people weren't really kind of keen on that, that that was the name of the show. And when and really as a credit, I mean, it was fun to be on it because it was a bunch of comedians and then a couple and then a bunch of oddball celebrities. Um, and so like Tanya Harding and Leif Garrett and, you know, all, so it was a very it was an, uh, this this it was a motley crew to say the very least. And, and I think that's why I loved it. I loved it because, you know, I see, I, I'm, I'm very much a contrarian. I'm very, yeah, if you're putting together a group of misfits, then, then that's my group, that's right along. Um, <laughs> and, and so, I, but then when you introduce someone on stage, you're like, you may recognize them from world's dumbest. It's not, it, it's not the best, you know, title of a show for a credit in the universe. But I did do a lot of episodes of it and I, I always loved do it. And in fact, they still show them. You know, it's so it's so funny how often I will still receive a, a text or a direct message on one of the platforms or like, look what I just saw. You know, like even in my weed store, my you know, the guy is like, dude, I was just watching you on World's Dumbest yesterday. You know, it's like, wow, they're still, you know, cycling through that stuff. And I mean, exposure-wise, it's good, but it's bad. It demonstrates once again why it's bad to do non-union work because I'm not. They're making money on it. I'm not making a dime. You know, they write us the one check and then that's it, and they run it into perpetuity throughout the universe and make as much as they can off it. We don't see another cent. Oh, that's horrible. So well, but it's better to at least. And they realize they know that comedians rely on exposure. So what they're paying us in really is exposure. And, and you know that when you sign on the dotted line. 
You know that. And you also know that if you don't take it, there's a thousand other comedians who will. Yes. So you might, you know what, if it's a show you like and they give you creative leeway and let you be funny your way, then, then yeah, at the end of the day, it's worth it because you have to have that, you know, that kind of uh, presence, you know? Yes. You know, my daughter was a model for five years and it's the same way with models when they get on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. They only, they only get $250 for that in the 90s. That's all yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Whatever the contract is, the contract is. Because if you don't take it, fine. We got 900 other girls that will happily take it. So, yeah. and, and, that, and that's always kind of been where the union came in. They were like, no, no, no. We know how much you make. We also know how much you need real talent. So you're going to have to pay them every time. You make money, they make money, even if it's just a small amount. And that really is the value of having a strong union. But a show like, it's not a scripted show. You know, it's kind of a comedians riffing, creating our own content kind of a show. And so, you know, that being the case, reality TV's always been able to get away around union rules because of that. Because yeah. you're not, quote unquote, acting. Yes, that's kind of a shame in some ways, but, you know, you see a lot of people getting stiffed along the way. Well, and I think that, you know, in terms of the union, I think the union needs to be more flexible. They need to understand that actors need to work, comedians need exposure. So how can you create a, a, a separate level whereby these shows can get made under the union banner still, you know, so essentially you would get a higher guarantee on the front end and then say, but listen, you won't have to worry about the residuals thing because this is that, you know, like create some flexibility instead of just saying union or non-union. You know, and, and, you know, they're charging the same day rate, basically. Now, with independent film, there's some other, there's some gradation to it. But it seems like with television, just, it'd be helpful. If you want to make sure you make all these shows union, then you're going to have to have flexibility in terms of what can be a union project. Where do you see yourself going in the future? Because you, you have a comedy institute, you've been in movies or whatever, you've got credits to boot. You could go anywhere with your comedy. You've got a cult following of people that have been trained by you. I can't go anywhere where I don't run into somebody who says your name around Jerry Corley's. <laughs> well, and and, you know, and Jerry Corley is the local guy there in Las Vegas. That's really his his scene there. And he's also a very talented comedian. And, you know, I, I like seeing when good comedians teach because for a long time, you know, comedy teaching got such a bad rap. And one of the reasons I started teaching was because generally they were taught by really bad comedians. It was, it was one of those things where those who can do and those who can't teach. And that really, because I took a workshop when I first started, like in the year 2000, you know, well, that was when I first started. But when I moved to New York and was fully dedicated to stand-up, I was like, let me take this workshop taught by this guy who was, you know, a very a veteran guy that had a lot of connections. So I was like, you know, let me at least get in front of this guy and have him tell me what I learned. Nothing, nothing from the workshop. I walked out of there going, well, that was a big fat fucking waste of time. And I realized, and then it was much later, you know, through a certain amount of coaxing from one of the comedy clubs that uh, I, I realized maybe uh, I do have something to teach. And that's where, you know, it really became about that. And in terms of that, I'll tell you this, I'm very excited because I'm about to put, um, the, you know, Mastering Stand-Up, my main workshop, into video lessons that people are going to be able to watch online. And it's just, you know, and I'm going to do it 
very inexpensive. My classes have always been relatively inexpensive compared to everybody else because I know comics are broke. I, I remember Thank the you. journey, you know? Yeah. I So I wanted all, so by just putting it on video and online, you're gonna be able to take my, my mo, you know, the single best stand-up review, uh, stand-up workshop in the history of stand-up comedy education. And I'm signing, and, I'm signing up for it. Yeah, and you could just, you know, if you just want to see the crowd work section, if you just want to see, you know, joke writing, if you just want to see, you know, uh, the lifestyle politics business, if you want to see um, storytelling, uh, if you want to see act outs, um, you know, all those things are individual lessons. So you could pick and choose or you could choose to watch them all. So I'm very excited. That's going to be coming up in the next month or so. It's been hard. To, it's been a long process, but it's finally coming together. Will you tag me in it so I'm sure to see it? Do uh, I go if to I re uh, if I re I'll say this way. If I remember, sure. Do I go to comedyinstitute.com to find yeah, it? The the comedy institute, T H E comedyinstitute.com. It's not up yet. They're, we're finishing the videos now. And then the whole website's gonna be rebuilt around having those because live classes have become very difficult to do. And it's something, well, of course, I was working on this before uh, the quarantine and all that business. It was just once the quarantine started, suddenly I had the time to really focus on it. And yeah. I was like, we gotta get this out there. So it's it's coming, and it, but thecomedyinstitute.com is where you, you'll be able to see all that information here in the next month or so. You can go ahead and go to the website now and see the live, you know, the way it was structured around the live workshops. I was always a live workshop guy. And now, now the lessons will be available online. So what makes you, I've seen you on stage, but in your estimation, because you've taught, if you could clone somebody and, and like build a bear workshop and make a Doug Greg Wilson out another one, what ingredients do you put high energy, great comedy writing, great stage presence? What else do you add to that your Build-A-Bear? I, I mean... Those are the key. I mean, for me, it's always about the marriage of the comic and the comedian. You know, the classic adage is comic says funny things. A comedian says things funny, which is to say that a comic uh, writes good jokes. They're good writers, you know, and jokes that they tell pretty much anyone could tell. They're probably still going to be funny. Whereas the comedian is relying much more on performance, timing and delivery to create the same effect. So what would look on the page as someone that you just it, there's no joke there. When they deliver it, it's a joke. And so my journey has always been about marrying the two things together, about bringing fantastic energy and timing and delivery with, coupled with excellent joke writing and punchline dominance to create what I consider to be a working comedian, a comedian that's going to be able to go into any town, any stage, any time, anywhere, and be successful in terms of getting laughs from the crowd and doing their job as a professional grade comedian. So you're, you're a great trainer. Everybody says so. And I have a question that a lot of comics like to skirt around. I didn't say comedians, comics like to skirt around and act like they know what they're talking. It's like a buzzword, but they don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of comics are out there saying you have to know how to read a room. And I'm like, okay, so what does that entail to read a room? Like, I'm really good at, I was a banker. I got robbed four times. I can read a bank. But <laughs> <laughs> I know when I'm going to get robbed. There's, 
Well, you know, it, it's so funny because when you say read a room, you're actually, uh, you know, in the world that we live in now, the reading of the room is, is, is not just the, starts from the outside in. In other words, what state are you in? What city are you in? What part of town are you in? Okay, that's going to skew the type of person that you can establish is probably going to be at your show. Then you can say, now, now it's reading the room. Uh, what what kind of jokes have they reacted to when the other comics tried them? Did they hate it when you get political? Did they turn off when you got dirty? Did they, you know, is it an older crowd? Is it a younger crowd? Is it is it a mixed group? Is there is there a bachelor party that's dominating the crowd? Is it so that is what reading the room is about? It's, it's for all of those factors creating a game plan then that you think is going to be the best approach for this room, which that requires. Now, if you're a comic that you have your set list and you do that set list in that order every time, reading the room doesn't make a shit's worth of difference to you. You don't have the versatility to, to, to adapt. You have your, you're doing the same act regardless of the room. So what do you care about reading the room? Now, if you, again, if you're a veteran, if you're a versatile comedian, if you're a veteran and you have, you know, a multitude of pieces to work from that you could order in any way that you like, which is the way that I prefer people, you know, I always encourage people to play with their set order so that you can read the room and say, you know what, I'm going to put my seniors bit up front for this show. And then I'm going to do, I'm going to keep it clean for like the first 30 minutes. Then maybe we'll see if we can get a little, little bluer towards the end. You know, or, ooh, this is a rowdy crowd. You know what? Anal joke off the top. Web And that is reading a room. Got it. What is it with female comics that feel like they have to start out with a one-liner that ends in fuck? Well, I mean, again, that that to me sounds like every every city in the world has a comedy scene. And when one thing works for somebody locally, it becomes like, it becomes, it just spreads and everybody starts doing it. And so I feel like that's probably, you know, uh, indicative of the scene there, I guess in Las Vegas. Yes. Is that right? You're basically- No, I'm, yeah. I refer, I'm referring to Portland, Oregon. Oh, Portland, and okay. Totally different Bir Birkenstock crowd, you know, totally different, you know, Smurf blue hair. Right. And then, so it sounds like something caught on there. You know, I mean, one of, one of the things that caught on here is uh, in L.A. was every young comic, male or female, all started with, I know what I look like. And then they would tell you what they look like, their little analogy, metaphor, simile for, for what they look like. And the thing is, most comics always have had this joke, but it was one that you, veteran comics tend to keep in their back pocket for when crowd work doesn't quite go right. And then it becomes self-deprecating so that they can put the focus back on them and get back to having a good show. So it wasn't always, you know, but but for some reason, you know, everyone's heard the, oh, be autobiographical. And so it, it became, it just became epidemic in young LA comedy to open up with, I know what I look like. I know what you're thinking. You think, what's this, you know, and, and so, I mean, and I have those jokes too, but again, it's generally not the opener, whereas it became the opener for all young comedians in LA there for the last couple of years to where I had to literally start telling in my workshops that I feel stop doing it because you just look in a show filled with young comics, you're the ninth comic in a row to come up there and tell everybody what you look like. 
Got it. Well, see this on the wall. This is when I did train, I trained brand new people off the street. You know, homeless veterans would come and let me teach them comedy. I don't know Jack Diddley compared to real comedians. I should have never taught comedy. I'm, I'm, I've decided, no, I'm going to let the pros like you do it. I doing these interviews. I'm like, who the heck was I trying to fool? I don't know. Barely. It took me five and a well, half years. Well, it's very noble of you to be able to see that, to be perfectly honest. You know, well, yeah. you, you, know you guys humble know. me. You humble. You know, so many, so many, there was another, you know, comic that he had tried to teach. And most people think it's just a great way to make money, but it's actually very difficult. But yeah. he, uh, you know, there was another comic that felt like, like he, he was going to start teaching. And what he wound up doing was just quoting me most of the time. And, you know, messaging me and being like, oh, I, you know, I'm telling him, but I tell him I get it from you. And I'm like, all right, all right. I can't stop you, you know, but yeah. you should stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I met with Don Barnhart and I told him, you know, I'm from Harvey's and he's in with Harvey's real good. And I'm here and I'm going to teach some comedy. And I'm like, you know what? I wrote Don an apology letter after about my 30th interview. You know, so I'm talking to people like you all over Vegas, you know, and they're like, they've opened for Sunny and Cher, Cheech and Chong, and I think I can teach comedy. I need my head examined. That's what I need. I need to get into your class. <laughs> well, but you know, at the same time, I mean, when you're taking people that weren't even really considering doing comedy and just sharing the gift with them and sharing the fun with them, I mean, I, I don't see there is anything particularly wrong with that. I think it's a ch very good charitable thing to be doing. You know, I never charged a dime, and that's exactly. See, and there you go, and that's and that's the difference. You were doing it out of a passion and love for the craft, and wanting to use it to re reach out to these other people. And you know, I, I that is a really noble, beautiful thing, and I wouldn't discourage that at all. I would say that you know what, you you certainly know more than they do, and you're just trying to open the door for them. You know, and that, that, that's not a bad thing when you're not charging. And, you're really just doing it as a community service. Like, you, you know, you got a problem with that, then you're just, you're, you're a dick. <laughs> Thank you. So what did, what have you learned through the pandemic about what have you observed that's going to be added to your comedy or crazy things people are doing that they really shouldn't do? And I don't know, I well, would think you have a funny spin on this. Well, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I just, I, it showed that I still know how to write new material. I'll tell you that, <laughs> you know, because I was like, I was like, I can't just go back and do the jokes before this. We have to address this, you know. And it just started every, one thing after the other, popping and popping and popping, using punchline dynamics to make sure whackety whackety whack. You know, I mean, my first one was was awful. You know, do, dealing with Zoom and the whole new media and everything, and and then I had to just go back and settle down and rewrite the material and adhere to the rules that I teach, you know, instead of just winging it. And, and when I, you know, I mean, listen, and you know, it was humbling as shit for me that first Zoom show. I, I mean, I fucking ate a dick and I was not used to that. I had to go back and Greg, settle down. Let's look, you know, you didn't play by your own rules. You didn't make sure you had the punchline ratios and plays. You didn't make sure that everything ended the way it was supposed to end. And then I rewrote it. Now it's an entirely new set. That's, you know, anywhere, you know, 10 to 20 minutes, depending on how many pieces of it I do. And it is its own capsule. You know what I mean? Yep. It is its own stretch. It's its own thing. It's never going to be something that I think you can shuffle into the deck 
with the other material. I think, I, you know, I've kind of, you know, taken a, a bit of a, t a take of it, uh, you know, that I've applied to an older piece that's a guaranteed hit, you know, off the top to make sure you win, get in there, get the laughs going. Then, but once we get into the quarantine set, it's all about, it's all, you know, the new stuff built for this, you know, and then I end there. I never make it back to old material ever. You know, and coming out of this, I, I can't wait to be able to do those jokes on stage in their fullest life version, because right now I'm doing it right here. You know, I'm doing it in this little box right here. And so it's just it, it's, it, it, you know, it, 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 which does make you more dependent on the writing. So the writing has got to be crisp, you know, but I can't wait to be able to really expand it on stage and yeah. connect with an audience over it. I'm looking forward to that with all my heart and we'll probably do it for the first time in Vegas. That's so cool. I want to be there when you do it. So I'll be looking for you. All right. It'll probably be at the Dirty at 1230. Oh, the most, yeah. The most popular show in Vegas. It uh, is. Yeah. And I'll probably, that's probably where I, whenever their first show back, um, I'll be, I'll probably, you know, I, I don't know if I'll be headlining it because I, I specifically asked not to. I was like, give me, but I thought they were going to start doing the show the second they opened the casinos back up. Yeah. And I was like, I want to wait a few weeks and see how this thing plays out. But yeah. now the shows aren't going to come back until well after, you know, until they've been open for several weeks. And I feel like at that point, we'll have a greater sample size in determining, you know, the safety level of this thing. I mean, I, I'm one of those people, I, I don't in any way doubt the veracity of the coronavirus. I, I'm, I'm still genuinely afraid of it. I don't want to wind up in a tent you know, in isolation, on a ventilator, you know, I, it's just not, you know, not that that's ultimately what's going to happen, but it could, it is, it, you know, it affects everybody differently. And I'm, I'm in an older age bracket and I, you know, I've smoked, weed. my lungs are not exactly, you know, they're not exactly factory new, you know, I've been a big fan of marijuana for a very long time. Yeah, I've got a blood clot in my lung. You do? Yeah. That's, see, and that's scary. That's scary stuff, yeah. you know? And so, and that's what this thing does. It gives you clots, which, you know, they call it the widow maker when that thing gets to your heart. So I don't, so that scares me, that scares me. And so for me, it's really about kind of, I, 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 and I've been doing this for so long, I can wait, you know? I, I'm okay. I, I've been on stage every night of my life for 30 years. I'm cool, you know? <laughs> Holy Toledo, where do you come from? You know, it's so, you know, you, you take some guesses. You, if you were to try and put me together, where do you think this came from? Sacramento. <laughs> well, ballsy there. <laughs> let me tell you something, you're not far off. You know, <laughs> uh, most people think I'm from New York because um, I have a very New York vibe, you know. Uh, but the reality is I was born in San Jose, California. Wow. And, yeah. And then, but I was raised in Dallas. Yeah. Dallas has always been my hometown, you know, because, you know, I spent, you know, from the time, from the fourth grade till I was uh, 30 in Dallas. And then, <laughs> and then, and then moved to New York for several years and then moved to LA, you know, for, for the last, uh, I don't know how long I've been here now, maybe, maybe 12, 14 years. So, um, 
So, I mean, it was, you know, so LA is now beginning to, to come closer to the amount of time that I spent in, in, in Dallas. But so Dallas has always been my hometown. I love the Cowboys. I love the Mavericks. I love the Stars. You know, I, Rangers. I, I just don't like baseball, you know. So I love the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, woo, my Cowboys. Oh, oh and people hate the Cowboys. They hate them so much. And it's like, why do you hate us? We don't give, we don't think about you. Go live your <laughs> life. Go be fans of whatever you want, you know, but people hate because they call us America's team, you know, but we yeah, are, Cowboys are the number one most valuable sports franchise in the world, bar none, number one, Dallas Cowboys, baby. Did you know the NFL is a nonprofit? Um, I would have to look, what? I heard that. I, I ran across it and did a joke about it once, but yeah, I think all the merchandise they sell goes down as a nonprofit. Maybe not the whole organization. Well, it may be one of those things where the shell, the, the league, the shell is somehow, you know, considered that, but the individual teams then are not. Those are obviously for-profit ventures. I mean, you can't, you know, value a team in the billions of dollars and call it a nonprofit. That's not how that works. Mm -hmm. So it could be that the league is considered that, which, you know, I mean, there's that, that's the case. Like, like, I think, um, I want to say like FIFA, I think was also technically considered a nonprofit, you know, even though it generates, you know, billions and billions of dollars. So, uh, I could see where maybe that could be classified for the organization but not for the teams. Got it. Did you ever play sports? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, growing up, I had lots of brothers. I mean, I am very Mexican. So, I mean, I had two older brothers, two younger brothers. So to say I played sports, we were playing football, we were playing basketball, we were playing soccer, we were playing everything all the time. But like, I never really played organized sports because again, I'm Mexican. So I'm short, I'm short and I'm fat, you know? So I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not fast. I'm not, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm coordinated, you know, I, I'm not unathletic, but I was never, you know, good enough to where they were like, we need you on the team, son. And in fact, I remember this in the, you know, growing up down, you know, I'm in Texas and football reigns supreme in Texas. And in the seventh grade, they, you know, we're all in PE class on the third day of school, and they put everybody up on the things. They're like, boys, who wants to try to play football? And of course, everybody, whether you really wanted to or not, although I really wanted to, you raised your hand. And they're like, all right, for those of you who want to play football, tomorrow you don't come to this gym. You meet us outside on the football field by the track. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> Next day, we all of us, all of us go out there to the to the football field and the track and the coaches go all right boys you see that track get running till we tell you to stop <laughs> and we all start running and after, after around like the third time around the track i'm like the fuck are we doing man this is, we're not playing football and so i go to the coach i'm like what are we doing and he's like do we tell you to stop and i'm like well, no, but we're just running around on this track. And he goes, do you want to go inside? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, go back to the gym, right? And that was it. That was the end of my football career. <laughs> so what things did you excel at in school? Uh, you know, acting and debate events. 
I was I was the king of of speech and debate and that that type of thing. You know, I, I obviously I did theater, but I mean, you know, speech and debate, those the acting events and debate. I did them all. I did them all and won trophies and everything. And you know, it was I, I had a very very dominant uh, high school career in wow. speech and debate. So when you get a student in class and they're monotone, because you're high energy and you're you're all over the map with your stuff, you know, you're like, you know, and you get somebody in there that's monotone, slow paced delivery, could do his jokes with a parrot on his shoulder kind of guy. Does that drive you nuts when they don't have energy or? Not in the least. See, you know, one of the things that I noticed about a lot of comedy teachers, particularly ones that aren't actually comedians uh, or, or veteran comedians, is they try and make their students into their vision of stand-up. And I never do that. My whole goal is for you to be your best you. Whatever, however you want to do it, you want to use props, you want to have a guitar, uh, you know, you want to be, do voice, you want to do monotone storytelling exclusively, whatever it is you want to do, all I'm trying to do is give you the tools to make that run better, you know, to make that hit with the kind of consistency that you need so that you can book gigs and become professional. And so if that's who you are, you're low energy, it's like, okay, then with you, we are going to focus on the writing because you need to be, you know, for them, the blueprint's going to be Stephen Wright. You know, I don't need you to, who I love Stephen Wright because the writing is that good that he required nothing else. And, 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 and you want to do that, then that, that's where you got, you got to take your writing. You got to take it to the Stephen Wright level of quality. And so let's give you the tools to do that. Wow, that's brilliant. So well, that's, okay. what, you know, yeah. And I love that. I never want, you, I do not, I'm not trying to churn out clones. In fact, I discourage people from doing it my way. You know, because I say this all the time, you know, the journey of stand-up is so long. Sure, some people get lucky early, and everyone who gets into stand-up thinks they're the one that's going to get lucky early. But, you know, and I, I was exactly the same way. That's why I can say that. I thought, I, I mean, I was, I, you know, I, I thought I was a prodigy and rocket ship to the moon, baby. You know, you ain't seen nothing like day. And then... You know, and you do get certain pops or whatever, and you, you know, but if, they say, but if it doesn't turn into a stratospheric career, well, now you got to look at this in the long haul. And the only way you could do this night in and night out over decades of time is if you're doing it the way you want, you know, the, the, the style that makes you happy night after night. Because if you're going up there trying to do what somebody else thinks you should be doing, you're going to grow frustrated and quit. You know, it's got to be you going, this is my way, and I, I love to do it this way, and I look forward to doing it every night, whether it's for 10 people and no money, or 10,000 people and $100,000, you know? So, uh, so, so that's what I always try and encourage people to do, is just do it. Your, it's so important that you enjoy it when doing it your way. Nice. I had people telling me that I should dress down and look like the other comics. And I'm like, I don't like Birkenstocks and I shave my leg and I don't like blue hair. And 
you know, and I want to wear a prom gown, you know, I yeah. When I go and if that's what you want, then that's who you are. And you need to do it that way. So when you take the stage, you're doing the, you, you were like this, this was what I wanted to do. And when you're not doing that, you're not enjoying it. Yeah. 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 You know? It makes me feel really good to do it my way. And I've had people try to tell me, and I'm sure you have to try to tell me what, what my, you know, I went through, uh, it took me five and a half years to have that joke that's like, I know what I look like. It, I needed five and a half years to get to that point because <laughs> I have a brain injury. I literally used to take up notes with oh, wow. <laughs> like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I, I can remember those things, but it took time for me to relax and not worry and, and do it. And, and so I, I've been doing it my own way, which is really slowly and methodically and you know, I've seen people go way past. I started out with Taylor Tomlinson and Angela Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What in the hell? <laughs> you, know? you know, Taylor is a magnificent writer. She's fantastic. And, you know, Angela, she's, to me, she's an example of, of pop comedy, which is, you know, the era we're in now, where if you have one bit that takes off, you know, you, you have a, basically a hit single. She had a hit single with with that you know the 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 salon the nail salon routine yeah and 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 the, the, you know the funny thing about that is that that routine you know a lot of people had done the nail salon and the asian ladies talking about them and all that but hers was the one that hit you know and if you think about it i mean since then she's been it's been she really has not come close to the success of that since you know Whereas Taylor, you know, I mean, her, you know, because it's really about the overall writing ability, hers has been able to continue to grow and advance, et cetera. I think she, she um, they hit a bit of unfortunato, you know, with the last special hitting right when the coronavirus hit, because, you know, on the one hand, everyone was watching content, but on the other hand, she's talking about things that maybe, uh, you know, at that moment in time, people weren't that concerned about. You know, they were really, you know, the, the, they were really consumed with what was going on, uh, you know, with the COVID crisis. So, you know, double-edged sword, but still, you know, huge success and, you know, God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. So after this whole thing clears up and, and God lets us out of our bedrooms and it's safe again, what new avenues are you going to try that you might not have tried before the pandemic? Well, I'll tell you, I am doing this weird thing. It's so crazy, but I've decided to try and start a new political party. And really? yes, and it's called the American Party. And, you know, because because I feel like, you know, uh, our culture where we're at right now, we've disrupted everything, you know? We disrupted the taxi industry, food delivery, you know, the hotel industry, banking. We disrupted everything. And yet we still allow these two old machines to tell us what to do and to pretend like we have no other choices. And I feel like we deserve better because I think people are sick of the labels. They're sick of the left and right. And I am too. That's where it comes from. I'm sick of things being left and right and, and good ideas not being able to be executed because they came from the left or they came from the right, you know? And, and that, kind of, that kind of thinking, I think, is dead. And I think most people consider themselves a little left on this. 
and a little right on that. And that's where this is, that's what this is about, about saying, screw the labels, what's the solution? What's the solution? Let's just find the answers and implement them, you know? And, and, and that's what I think that we, you know, and to find better people to do these jobs, you know? We have to look at these as employment opportunities that we are the hiring committee for, you know? And instead of saying, oh, well, they've, you know, we need, who's the best person to fill that job? Get that person and elect them, you know? And, and it, it is, very, you know, so the concept is to take the politics out of politics. I like that. Tear down the labeling and just what do we, let's solve, be the party of innovation, the party of solutions, the party of big ideas and execution. You know, and, and, you know, and where there are good apples, we keep the good apples and where there are bad apples, we replace them. You know, we don't have to just replace somebody just because they're Republican or just because they're Democrat. I don't know, they've done a good job, then, then let's keep them. You know, I like Mitt Romney, I like Ocasio-Cortez. You know, I think these two represent their particular culture their, And that's the representatives of the communities, not the party. You know, now you you outed yourself as an, a Mexican American, and I didn't know that from the name Wilson. Right. And so, um, well, and it's funny because you called me the Greg Wilson, which is what was my moniker for 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 decades. And you know, at a certain point, I just didn't feel like I felt like that was the younger man who was kicking down doors, and you know, really a gonzo, crazy guy. And now I'm older, and I'm more settled. And while I'm still very loud and crazy and stuff, I just, you know, I just, I, I, I update, I, I rebranded, if you will, to Greg Romero Wilson, nice. which is my, which is, to, which is my mother's maiden name. And the point of that was to, to make it clear that I am a Latino comedian, that I am a Hispanic actor, um, because I felt like people were, you know, just didn't see that about me, regardless of how much it's true. They would just see the Wilson and be like, oh, okay, sure. Okay, somewhere, like, no, 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 no. We're a very Hispanic family. The Wilson name is by adoption. My grandfather adopted my father and he went from Cayeros to Wilson. But there's not a drop of Wilson blood in us, you know? And so it just was really about trying to be my most genuine self. Yeah. And that to me was the better way to express it. Now in your family, are you the most vocal, most passionate? Cause you oh, are no. all about vocal and passionate. I mean- No, everyone in my family is loud and passionate. And so in fact, around my house- is loud to be heard? Without question. I'm third of seven children, okay? Uh, if you weren't loud, you weren't, you weren't getting nothing. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's what it came from and that's who I am. Love it. I love, and, and, I love listening to you because you're loud and you're passionate and you're, you believe everything you're saying. There's, you're, there's no mamsy pamsy about you. You're just like, <laughs> I'm here to talk and you're going to listen. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'll admit like to some of the millennials, it can be off putting because it is, I'm aggressive. I can't help it. I'm an aggressive guy. And so it could be a bit off putting to a generation that's raised on just watching videos uh, it could be too much for them. And, and I understand that. 
you know, but I, while I, I don't expect them to change and they certainly can't expect me to change. So, you know, if I'm not, you know, so if I'm not the, you know, the, your cup of tea, well, that's okay too. I love it. I love it. And that probably wins them over that you're not trying to placate to them. So they probably come around after a while. Well, I think the, the success on stage is undeniable. Yes. So that certainly helps. Yeah. Yeah, you have a cult following. How do you explain that? You know, I think it's because I've, I've, I've given so much back in terms of education. You know, I, how I've many contributed. People have you, how many people have you taught, Greg? I really don't know. It's hundreds, hundreds of people at this point, you know. So, you know, and maybe maybe over a thousand. It could easily be over a thousand. I, I, I honestly don't know. At a certain point, I stopped collecting reviews because I just had so many that I was like, listen, please try and put something online because, you know, I mean, give me a paper review. I just have files of just stacks of them. And, you know, <clears throat> and I love that. I feel it's more personal when they write it themselves, you know, and hand it to you. But, you know, it became more about needing the online reviews, but getting somebody to go online and give you reviews, that's like pulling teeth. So, but I still have gotten a bunch of great ones like that too. But, in, but I have it, it's I'm I'm sure it's over a thousand comedians. I, I it'd be hard to to for me to really, kind of uh, put the number on it. I really, you know. What's a stage a comedy stage that's eluded you that you'd love to get on? I would say I mean it's it's the comedy store. It's I mean, and I've performed there many times. I've performed in the, the original room. I've performed in the main room, but not I've never been a past comedian there. And, you know, it, it's, it's twofold. I mean, one, when I first got to L.A., you know, they really wanted you to hang out for a long time. But at that point, I kind of done all my hanging out in New York when I was breaking into clubs like the Comedy Cellar and the Comic Strip. You know, I did all my hangouts. You know, Gladys, do you know Gladys Simon? I do know Gladys Simon very well. She's a sweetheart of a gal. She's my coach. Yeah, she's she's coach. She ran a very successful open mic. And, you know, I used to go, I, you know, I, I did her open mic a few times. I didn't like it because it was so long, you know, and, and you had to sit there. You had to be in the room because she would just draw one name at a time. So you had to be in the room after every, you know, it, it was, it was, I, I just was like, I can't. So, but she's a very sweet lady and I've always appreciated her. Yeah, exactly. I love her to death. She's the person, she's the reason that I started believing in my comedy. I was That's throwing stuff, stuff around and when, and she saw my jokes on Facebook and invited me to come out to comic strip and taught me that I need to trust that I'm brain injury or not. I need to trust I'm funny. Screw the notes. Know that you're funny, be funny in the moment and rely on that. Yeah. Well, and that's the value of great, of being punchline dominant and, and knowing and knowing how to write punchlines because that's really what sets you at ease. Knowing that I'm not going to hit you. I'm, first, I'm going to hit you very fast with punchline. And then I'm going to have six or seven more behind it. So, you know, that, that really can ease your spirits quite a bit when you're, when you're, when you're truly punchline dominant, it, it creates a comfort level knowing I'm going to get you. Yeah, I get it. Okay. I like that. So I'll be looking for your class and I'm going to be in it. I'm going to be watching your, your website for when your class starts up. Please do. Cause yeah, the whole thing is going to get rebuilt pretty soon and it'll have the video 
uh, workshops on one side and then we'll have the live workshops on the other. So okay. which the live workshops are probably gonna become more, more Zoom workshops at this point. So where do you want people to follow you on the interwebs? Uh, the best place is Instagram, Greg Romero Wilson. That's the best place. And you can search Greg Romero Wilson. It's on Twitter. It's on, you know, I've got the faith, you know, but I do not, I, I haven't done TikTok. YouTube, you can look up my, oh, I've got some really crazy gon, gonzo. Uh, I, that was the thing during this time, been able to go back through some of my I have volumes of video unpublished. And I found some really gonzo moments. Like <laughs> one, I got I got this this senior guy to, to take his shirt off and dance around on stage and, you know, Stuff like that. So there's a lot of fun. There's some fun new bits that I, and they're also on the Instagram as well. So if you go to my Instagram or the, you know, Facebook fan page, you know, any of those, just search Greg Romero Wilson. And that's the other thing. There's no other Greg Romero Wilsons. There's wow. some other, there's, um, that was the thing with the Greg Wilson was to set myself apart from the myriad of Greg Wilsons out there. <laughs> I mean, the, and the, you're talking about the nineties, you know, uh, you know, there were, there were two Greg Wilson magicians and a, Greg, a time Greg Wilson DJ out of London. So a lot of the Greg Wilson, so the Greg Wilson was the were the handles and websites that were available for me. So it was about separating myself from all the other Greg Wilsons on the internet. But then Greg Romero Wilson, I'm your guy. Lots of Greg <laughs> Wilsons, a few other Greg Romeros, but Greg Romero Wilson, that's me. <laughs> You're a delight. I have so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate I, it. I will be looking for when you go back on stage at the Dirty of, at 12.30 Fridays, 12.30 at South Point, if it's still the same. Yes, it is. So it should be a lot of fun. Yes. Go Gabe Thank you, Lopez. That's go right. Thank you, Greg Romero Wilson. There you go. Thank you so much, dear. You have yourself yes. a great day. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for coming. Are you kidding me? Good night. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Everybody's talking at the coming spot, the coming spot.